0: So we're in uh, the what's called the Bread of Life discourse, John Gospel of John, our favorite Gospel, John um, Gospel of John, chapter six. And um, just in case you weren't here, uh, one of the last two Sundays, and I I know if you weren't because I take attendance. But uh, just to recapitulate, two Sundays ago we had the feeding of the multitude. Right, Jesus feeds the five thousand and plus numbers of people with with very little bread and fish, and they have their fill, and they have some left over. Then we get to uh, the next Sunday, and they all follow him, right? So we're continuing with uh, the same chapter. They follow him, and he says, well, you're just following me because I fed you. Work for food that is eternal, basically. Well, we'd love that food because, you know, food and drink that never runs out is fantastic. Basically, all you can eat, they don't get it yet. So they say, well, show us this food. And he says, well, I am that. I'm the bread, of, the bread that comes down from heaven. And they say, well, what can you do to prove yourself? I mean, he just fed the multitude, but okay, fine. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And so now we come on the heels of that with today's gospel, and they're upset they're upset that he has said he has come down from heaven. And they say, well, how is this possible? We know your father and mother. How could you be from heaven? They, they have not the concept of, of uh, you know, the blessed mother and, and, and that sort of thing that hasn't really been fully revealed. How can you be from the father? And yet, the Lord does not back down. And this is one of the most important things we need to remember as we hear uh, about John chapter 6. The Lord never backs down. Just keep remembering that. He never backs down from his message. So his message, stop murmuring. I came from the Father. No one knows the Father except through me because I came from him. The Lord Jesus is asserting his divinity. And yes, born of woman, but came from God. He's very clear about this. I have come from the Father. Now, one of the things we see in the gospels is how he's sort of overturning their presuppositions about what was really important, but also their presuppositions about who God was or is and the activity of God. They had God in a box. This is who God is and God can't be that. And so they reject Jesus and they continue to do so over and over, most especially, and this is not uncommon, but most especially with the professional religious people you know, the the Pharisees, the chief priests and the scribes. They had God in a box, and God can't be outside of that box. So they persecute the Lord when he starts saying things like I have come down from heaven. I am the Son of the Father. Well, no, we have God in this box. If you're the Messiah, that's something else. You can't be that kind of Messiah. Well, I am. Well, that's not the Messiah we've put in a box. Well, you've got a problem. Well, you you can't be from heaven because we know your mother. Well, again, you have me in a box. You have a problem. Not me, says the Lord. And then he continues with the Bread of Life discourse, and and he says uh, today, and he finishes with this, your ancestors ate the man in the desert. In other words, Moses... Through God's power, Moses delivered you from Egypt, brought you into the desert, where the Lord fed you, and they died. The bread that I will give will be unto eternal life. It will give you eternal life. In other words, the Lord is saying, I am not just a new Moses, I am better than Moses. And this is not some sort of egocentricity. It's merely a revelation of who he is as God, being greater than Moses. Another thing to infuriate them, who could be greater than Moses? Well, God. God could be greater, is greater than Moses. And then he says, ultimately, again, he repeats and repeats. Another thing we'll see in the ensuing uh, passages, I am the bread of life, and this bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And the word he uses for flesh is not metaphorical. It's not symbolic. It's literal. And we'll see that again play out in subsequent readings or readings of this passage, that when he talks about his flesh, he's talking about flesh, like meat, flesh. Sinewy, connected to the bone, flesh. That's the word. In Greek, it's sarx for those of you who are taking notes. Um, He does not back down from this, though. The bread that I will give is my flesh. No, it can't be that because we have God in a box. We have God all figured out. And God is up there. God is up there. He is sovereign. He makes his will known. He tells us what to do. That's who God is. God isn't right here, God, next to us, in flesh, and God is certainly not going to give us his very flesh to eat so that we may have eternal life. How is that possible? Jesus does not back down. It is possible. Those of us who are Catholic know that it's possible because we have always believed it. All the way back to the apostles, all the way back, all of the writings, they're out there, not just in Scripture, but, but extra-biblical sources clearly testify that all of the early Christians believed they were consuming Jesus. It's, it's not even debated that that's what they believed. They understood from direct lineage from the apostles that this is what Jesus said and this is what they did. And so the Lord is turning this concept of God sort of upside down and he's saying God is right here with you I am right here with you I am amongst you this great this great mystery of the incarnation of God becoming man so that we are not orphaned but that we can know him that we can have an intimate relationship with him God not far away God with us God with us And how many times, perhaps, all of us have put God into a box? No, God is only this way. We limit God as though God could be limited. And we limit even, perhaps, you know, the practice of our faith. We limit other people. Well, you can't be Catholic if you are a Chicago Bears fan, for instance. That one's true. <laughs> There's a lot of Catholics in Chicago, um, but but it's silly things like that. You know that's why I use a silly example because well you can't be you can't be Catholic if you're if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican or if you're a, I don't know whatever description we give to each other we try to limit each other and therefore limit God or we put expectations even on each other. Um, you know, who fits, who belongs, and who doesn't in the church. Everybody belongs. And I guarantee there's a whole group of you who really wonder whether you belong. And you belong. You fit. Well, Father, you don't really know me. I don't. But I know you belong. Even though you might feel insecure about it, God does not. And nor do I. It's amazing whom God brings together and brings to Himself because, in fact, He wants all of us. He wants to bring all of us to Himself. And one of the things we see as we continue with this passage is that the Lord Jesus is trying to say, look, You Pharisees, you chief priests, you scribes, you've gotten all focused on God in a box and doing everything the right way and all of these rules and everything else. And it's not that the rules don't have any meaning, but you have made them the sole meaning, the sole focus, as though if fulfilling all of that stuff makes you righteous, it does not. And the Lord Jesus in the scriptures hammers this home over and over and over again. And what He asks us to do is to focus on Him, that He is the reason. For what? For everything. So even if you look, I've had so many people over the years um, say, well, you know, Father, I, I I don't know that I agree with all the church's teachings. Okay. Well, sometimes I struggle with stuff about the church. Yeah, that's pretty much all of us, right? from time to time, okay. Well, the church is really imperfect and sinful. Oh yeah, yes it is, yes it is. But the church does not exist solely for itself, so to speak. The church exists and Christ instituted the church to bring people to Him. It's a conduit to Him. Some people say, well, Father, I don't like like the Holy Father. Did you like the last one? No. Did you like the one before that? No. The one before that? Well, he only lasted 30 days. Okay. You know, before that I wasn't alive. So, you don't really like any of them. Maybe the common denominator is you. But anyway, that's fine because even the Pope and the priest and, you know, everything is about getting you to Jesus. It's not about getting you to the priest or getting you to the Pope. It's about getting to Jesus. And the sacraments are about getting you to Jesus. And most importantly, the Holy Eucharist is Jesus given to us. Everything we do here is about focusing on Jesus first. The community matters. How much we love each other matters. How welcoming we are really, really matters. That all of you feel like you have a place here matters. But it's all second, to our focus on worshiping Jesus. And so today I invite you to consider what are you bringing to Jesus as your worship today? You're going to receive, but what are you bringing? This becomes a stumbling block for people who who struggle with, what do I get out of mass? Well, what are you giving What are you giving in worship? Remember the three wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they bring things to God as an act of worship. Maybe today you have an incredible amount of joy and contentment and sense of blessing in your life. Make that your gift at the altar. Maybe you have incredible sadness. Maybe you have incredible pain and and anger and hurt. Make that your gift. Maybe you have incredible suffering, physical ailment. Maybe you have fears or anxieties or depression. I mean, everybody has something to bring to the altar. And what I invite you to do today is consider what is it that I'm going to bring in worship? And when I bring those gifts to the altar, you bring your gifts to the altar. You place that in Jesus' hands. And just as he transforms that bread and wine into himself, give him permission to transform your gift into something great. Please stand.